night, we had the harvest party uh, at the church. How many, just raise your hand if you were involved with the harvest party in, in one way, shape, or form. Uh, a lot of you guys are out there. Thank you so much uh, for helping out uh, with the harvest party. Brent, do we have a slide? No, we don't. All right. Uh, well, just imagine, if you will, games everywhere, candy everywhere, and a ton of kids uh, just excited and on a sugar high. I mean, it was awesome. And uh, so thank you for helping out with that, whether you uh, help plan, whether you help set up, if you made food, uh, if you worked at a game, if you helped tear down. I mean, from beginning to end, it was an excellent event, and it was so cool because we got together, and, and we just shared the love of Jesus with this community. Uh, that's what it was all about. Uh, you know, so it was just so cool to see, uh, you know, there was the frog flipping, there was the mini putt, there was the little farmyard that was in there, the pumpkin bowling. Uh, my favorite was the basketball shootout. You know, that, that's for big kids too, all right, everybody? And uh, it was fun. I mean, my kids, they got to bed by like 11 that night after the sugar wore off. So, you know, it was just, it was really good. Uh, but thank you for doing that because it's, it's just so neat when we all come together as a church family and... Uh, and when we do that and we go after God and, and uh, we, we bless this community, it's so cool. And it just feels like, you know, maybe, maybe after that night you felt like, man, this is just a good, this is a good feeling. It's a good feeling when we uh, do something that God has called us to do, when we do something that God has commanded us to do. And that's to go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. So if you're sitting here like, man, I feel good after serving. That's why, because you were in God's will. You were doing what God has called you to do, to go into all the world and uh, preach the good news to all creation. And this morning, that's exactly what I want to share with you. Uh, like I said, it's Speed the Light Sunday, and uh, the, the youth and I, we get to share with you something that's near, to, near and dear to our heart, and that's Speed the Light. It's going into all the world and, and telling the good news to all creation. Uh, so for some of you, maybe you don't know what Speed the Light is, and... Uh, I will brief you on that, all right? Um, a lot of you guys do know. But uh, every month, this church, we give to missionaries. We support missionaries, right? If you go out in the foyer, you'll see like 40-some pictures of missionaries that we support uh, every month. Every month, we're, we're sending them a check so that they can get to their mission field, get to the people that God has called them to reach, uh, but also stay on that mission field. And, and so that's what we do as a church family. We support missionaries. Uh, then there's the teenagers, right? This, this lovely group of human beings over here. Yeah, give them a nice smile, everybody. Just wave. Go ahead. There's like two of you who are waving. All right. They're really good at following directions. Um, but our teenagers, what we get to do, we get to give to Speed the Light. And what Speed the Light does is once we send our missionaries over to the area that God has called them to, uh, then we raise money so that we can buy things like a vehicle right? Uh, a vehicle so that when they get there, they can be equipped to, to spread the good news. So I'm talking, we've bought cars, trucks, tractors, semis, uh, motorcycles, horses, uh, a wheelbarrow, what, whatever it takes so that uh, our missionaries can be equipped so they can spread the good news of Jesus Christ further and faster. Uh, we also buy uh, creative communications, so sound equipment, uh, projectors, uh, you know, any, anything like that, computers that can help them spread the word of God further and faster. And a couple weeks ago, uh, 
adults and teenagers aren't the only ones getting in on the action, but kids, we, we had Buddy Barrel up here, right? Wasn't that fun when we had Buddy Barrel up here a couple weeks ago? And all the kids brought the change in, and they were given to BGMC, and, and BGMC helps to equip our missionaries as well uh, with, with Bibles, with gospel tracts, with things like uh, drilling, fresh water wells. Uh, so we all get to be in on the action. We all get to be this church family who comes together and says, we're going to support our missionaries. So as a church, we send them, uh, but as students, we get to equip them so that the word of God gets out further and faster, and that's what Speed the Light is all about. Now, I've been in youth ministry for like seven, eight years now. I've been a youth pastor, and, and it still amazes me how God can use teenagers from South Dakota to change lives across this globe. I mean, that they get to be in on the action of fulfilling the Great Commission to take God's word to the ends of the earth. And and it's, I just, I get so proud uh, every year to see these teenagers sacrifice and give so that others can hear the good news uh, of what Jesus did on that cross, right? And, uh, and I just, like I said, I, I've got such a great privilege of getting to work with these guys each uh, and every week. Because the best part of being a youth pastor is uh, seeing a kid get set on fire for God, right? That, that's the best part. That's, what, that's why I keep doing what I'm doing. That's what gets me up in the morning is, is I get to see teenagers on fire for God. That's what it's all about. Uh, just this school year, uh, I've seen teenagers do a lot of incredible things for Jesus. Uh, I saw one teenager get so excited about what Jesus was doing that they're like, I'm going to go invite all my friends. And so they did, right? And and now all their friends are are coming uh, on a Wednesday night. I've seen uh, several teenagers say, you know what? I really love what God is doing through Speed the Light. So they began to give sacrificially. They began to give all they had so that others could hear. I've seen teenagers just pouring out their heart to God at an altar. I mean, there's nothing like that. Seeing a teenager just saying, you know what, I don't care what's going on around me. I don't care about that person next to me. I'm going to go after God because that's, that's what matters. That's what's important. I've seen a teenager uh, go out and, and reach out to a young girl who felt all alone so that they felt accepted, so they felt like they belong. I've seen several teenagers get excited about reading God's word. Not only did they read it, but they began to apply it to their lives. And not only did they stop there, but they kept going and they began to share what what God uh, spoke to them through the word and they shared it with their friends. I've seen teenagers who uh, have spent hours of their time uh, not to benefit themselves, but just to benefit other people. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. I love teenagers because they are hungry and when they go all in, they go all in. They don't hold back. They, they chase God with everything they have. They get outside of their comfort zone to follow Jesus. But really, isn't that what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? To step outside of our comfort zone, uh, to follow Jesus wherever he takes us, whether we like it or not, to become like him, to care about what he cares about, to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. And that's, that's when I've seen these teenagers do extraordinary acts, is when they become passionate about what God is passionate about. So what is God passionate about? What moves the heart of God? What moves his heart? What, do, what does God get excited about? And that's what I want to take some time to, to talk about this morning. What, what moves God's heart? What's he passionate about? What's he's, what is he excited about? So this morning, if you could grab your Bibles, um, turn them to Luke chapter 19. Just kind of put your finger there. I want to give you a, uh, some background information there before we, we jump into it. In Luke chapter 19, uh, you'll see even at the... The heading there is the triumphal entry, right? Uh, This is a week before 
Jesus is crucified. He's coming into Jerusalem. And, I mean, the scene is very festive. He's riding in on this, this colt. And uh, people are lining the streets. They're throwing down coats uh, to make the way for Jesus. They're waving palm branches. Uh, they're singing his praise. They're telling about his miracles. They're, they're singing Hosanna like we did this morning. And, uh, you know, normally we call that Palm Sunday. We celebrate it, uh, of that, that triumphal entry. And, and they're all just, man, this is great. It was like a royal parade that they were throwing for Jesus. It was pretty incredible. So that's the scene. Now, can you imagine... Imagine if your whole town threw you a parade, right? Like you're, you're sitting there, you're just riding through town, you know, there's confetti falling, people are telling you how great you are, you know, you're just kind of waving to the crowd. You know, wouldn't that just be awesome if your whole town just had a, a you day? Like, it's just like, it's all about you because of how great you are, and, and you're just riding through, and they're just, you know, they're celebrating you. You know, if that was you, you'd probably be sitting there like, I am pretty great, aren't I? You know, like I, I could get used to this and, and we'd be maybe soaking it all up. And so that's why I find it so interesting, Jesus's reaction, what he does in, in the midst of all of this. So I'm just going to read one verse in Luke 19:41. It says this, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. So here's Jesus, he's in the midst of, of all this fanfare, and, and rather than just soaking it all up and, and taking in all the glory that, you know, he rightfully deserved, he sees the city ahead. He, he sees the city of Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, the center of God's chosen people. I mean, if anybody should get it, it should be these people. I mean, these people are waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for a Savior. They know he is promised. And here's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's the light of the world. He, he's come into this place. And the city missed it. Not only did they miss it, they, they rejected him. They chose to live in darkness rather than to come into the light. See, they were expecting this political savior to come and, and just take charge, take over the government, kick the Romans out of there. You know, that's, that's the savior they were expecting. But Jesus came as a spiritual savior. He wanted to be not king of their government. He wanted to be king of their hearts. And they weren't ready for that. They weren't expecting that. So when Jesus saw this city, even though there was all this fanfare around him, he began to weep. For this city, because he saw a city who was lost. He saw a city who, who was in darkness, a city who did not realize that the Messiah was in the world. See, I believe that people move the heart of God. People move the heart of God. That's why he, when he saw that city, he began to weep over it. He saw the city full of lost people. And it stirred his soul, even though all around him people were singing his praises. I mean, there's, there wasn't an ounce of pride in Jesus. He, he never took the attention. Large crowds always followed him everywhere he went, but he, he never, it never got inside of him. It never said, wow, look how great I am. Jesus wasn't about pride. He always stayed true to his mission, and that was to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came, to seek and to save the lost. And so he kept his eyes on that mission. So even in the midst of this parade, Jesus still said, man, my heart. It's for people. It's for people. And he began to weep uh, over that city. And I want you just to, to zoom out, kind of fast forward to today. And I wonder, what does God see when he looks at us today? What does God see when he looks at this, this globe today? Does he still weep 
for people? Does he see us just like Jerusalem? Is there a lot of darkness rather than light? I want you to check out this video. I'm overlooking the city of Tegucigalpa in Honduras, thriving metropolitan area, one of the many here in Central America. And the thought that hit me as I overlooked this, that the world is spinning and half the world is in darkness and half the world is in light. And I, I look over a city like this and I think about the major cities of the world and all of the different populations of the world. And, and all of a sudden it hit me that if half of the population of the world would be in the light, that would be amazing. But the fact of the matter is, there are three billion people in the world that have never even heard about Jesus. And most of the rest of those four billion of the seven billion people on earth have never really committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And so as I stand here and overlook this, I, I get a little perspective that God has uh, of this world. And that perspective is there are so many people in darkness that darkness can only be taken away by the light. Thank you for sending missionaries. Thank you for supporting missionaries. Thank you for praying for missionaries that will give the light of the gospel to the people in darkness. So that's our Assemblies of God World uh, Missions Director. And uh, just kind of sharing, man, those are some crazy stats that you showed. There's 7 billion people in this world. Seven billion. And three billion of those people have never heard the name of Jesus. It's almost half the people have never even heard the name of Jesus. The other four billion, uh, I did some more research of those four billion that have heard the name of Jesus. Three and a half billion, they've heard it, but they've never accepted it. Only a half billion people uh, have accepted the fact that Jesus is their Savior and are living in the light. And this morning, I've asked our, our students to help me illustrate this concept. So guys, you can, you can get into place there. Uh, but I wanted you to give, give you a perspective of what God sees each and every day, right? When God looks at the globe, I, I, want, him, I want you to be able to see things uh, the way God sees things. And I want you to feel these stats and just experience them rather than uh, just to hear them. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask our, our tech booth to, to kill the lights in this place. So uh, don't fall asleep, all right? The light is going to be a little dark. Also, if you're on your cell phones, we'll know, all right? Um, so no texting or anything like that. Just put it away. I'm giving you a little bit of a, bit of a heads up this morning. Uh, but I want you to see how much of this world is living in darkness, whether it's by choice or whether it's by circumstance. So guys, you can kill the lights this morning. So those stats, you, you see that in front of you. Uh, if you look to, it's dark in here, but if you look to your right, my left, the, these sections over here, this represents the 43% of this world who have never heard the name of Jesus. They're living in complete and utter darkness. I mean, they don't even know. They don't even know because no one's told them because no one's reached them yet. On the other half, on your left, my right, there's 50% of the world who they can see the light, but they've never, they've never accepted that light. They've, they've chosen to live in darkness rather than light. Now, we have about 14 students, 14 lights standing up. There's 200 of us in here. They represent the 7% who know Jesus, the 7% who've experienced that light for the first time. So why don't you just take a minute, just 
Just soak this in. Is this the picture that God sees every day? Is this how he sees the world? Does he still weep for us today? Because people move the heart of God. I believe he still weeps for us today. Now, the good news, church, is that Jesus went to the cross for us. Jesus, he's the light of the world. And we have the ability to share that light with the people around us, with the people who have never heard Jesus, with the people who have rejected Jesus. We can keep telling them about the light. Not only do we have the ability, but we have the responsibility to share that light. You guys can turn the lights back on. But, but I, I just want you to, to feel that this morning, the, the understanding of, man, there's so much of this world who is living in darkness, And Jesus, his heart and his passion is that all people would be safe. I mean, every single one of them. We've got 7% so far, but we need to reach the other 93%. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants all people. He wants all of them. Not not, uh, 80%, not 90%. He wants 100%. To be saved. Also in 2 Peter 3.9, it says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Again, he wants everyone. We've, we've got the responsibility to share the light of the gospel with everyone because that is God's heart. God loves people. People move the heart of God. That's the reason why Jesus came to this earth. That's why he humbled himself. That's why he went to the cross, because he loves people and he wants to have a relationship with them. Now let me make a note here. While people do move the heart of God, God, people don't change God. People don't change who God is. God has always been the same yesterday, uh, today, and forever. But he always loves people. From the very beginning, God loves people. Uh, We see that people are different than everybody else because people were created in God's own image. Man, people move the heart of God. People are always God's priority. So he'll do whatever he can to reach them. Now, this morning, I want to take a little bit of a look at at Jesus' life and and, and see how he responded to people. See, I I don't think Jesus was ever really concerned with a to-do list or a schedule or the next place that he needed to be. He was always concerned about people. He always took the time to notice them and, and care for them. It didn't matter their race, their, their gender, their status. Jesus loved people. Jesus took time for people. Uh, so if you're looking, you don't have to flip there, but in Mark chapter 10, just want to give you a few examples. Mark chapter 10, uh, Jesus is, is heading out of town with his disciples. And all of a sudden, there's this blind beggar who begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? And... Uh, the disciples, the crowds around Jesus, they didn't like this very much. You know, it's like, hey, we're leaving town. We're not going to take time to stop here. And they started to tell him, be quiet. You know, we, we don't want to hear from you. Don't bother the master. Don't bother the teacher. Uh, but this guy, he, that didn't stop him. He began to yell out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And said that Jesus stopped, and he called him to him. Even though the rest of the crowd was saying, get out of the way, Jesus called this guy to him. And he healed him, and, and he was no longer blind, and, and, and man, he was no longer a beggar because of what Jesus did, because Jesus took the, that interruption. He didn't view it as an interruption because he came because he loved people, and it changed his life forever. John chapter 4, uh, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're on a journey, and they have to stop in a town to, to grab some lunch, 
right? And uh, when they do that, the disciples go off, and Jesus, he goes and sits by this well, and he meets a woman there. Now, there were so many barriers between Jesus and this woman. I mean, every barrier you can think of. Uh, first off, she was a woman. He was a guy. Uh, she was a Samaritan. He was a Jew, which those two didn't get along together. Uh, she had a lot of sin in her life. It said that she'd been with, uh, she's had five husbands, and the guy she was with now, some other guy. She was just living with some guy, right? And so she's got a lot of sin in her life, and Jesus was perfect. He was holy. Uh, not only uh, was she had some issues, but, I mean, she was there by herself, which meant that, I mean, the rest of the town kind of rejected her. You know, she went there so that she didn't have to hang out with anybody else. When, you know, Jesus, he had his disciples, he had crowds of people following him. So there's every barrier in between these two. But Jesus broke down those barriers. And she was one of the first people to recognize who he was, that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah. And Jesus took that time and, and revealed that to her. And her life was never the same. She, she went off and told the whole town who Jesus was. In John chapter 8, Jesus was, was teaching. And, uh, you know, Jesus teaching, that's pretty important, right? But the religious leaders, they came in and they interrupted his teaching. And, and they, they brought this woman before him. And they said, teacher, you know, this, this woman... She's been caught in adultery. Now, we know you love people, right? But the law says that we're supposed to stone her, that we're supposed to kill her. What do you say? They asked him an impossible question. They were trying to, trying to trick him. But again, Jesus loves people, and he says, you know what? Whoever doesn't have sin, they can throw the first stone at her. And, of course, they all are like, yeah, I can't live up to that. And they dropped the rocks and, and went away. And, and Jesus looked at this woman and said, hey, where's your accusers? They all left. Go and sin no more. In this woman's life, it was forever changed because he didn't view her as an interruption. He didn't view her as a sinner. He viewed her as someone who needed his touch that day. And her life was forever changed. A couple more in Mark chapter 5. Jesus gets off of a boat, right? And uh, with his disciples, he's on his way to the next place. And all of a sudden, this crazy man comes out of nowhere and, and starts coming towards him. Now, this dude was like legit crazy, all right? He was living in the tombs. He was living basically in a cemetery. Uh, people had chained him up because they thought he was so crazy, but no chains would hold him. It said that he would cry out often, that he would cut himself with rocks, right? And, and I mean, this guy was just, he was demon-possessed. He was possessed by many demons, the Bible said. So he was just the outcast of society, the, the person that had been dehumanized for, for years and years. They didn't, they no longer viewed him as like this normal human being. He was the crazy guy. And he comes up to Jesus, and Jesus does something that probably has never been asked him in a long time. And he says to this crazy guy, what is your name? What is your name? See, everybody else around him have been like, oh, this guy's an animal, you know. He, when's the last time somebody asked him his name? And so he told him, and, and Jesus freed him from the demons. He delivered him from him. And this guy all of a sudden went from, from crazy to, to normal to free. Because Jesus took time for people. It didn't matter their status. It didn't matter where they were in life. He saw the person. He saw the person beyond all the cuts, beyond all the screaming, beyond where he lived, beyond the smell. He saw the person. Because Jesus loves people. People move the heart of God. Also in Mark 5, there was a, Jesus doesn't just associate with people of, of low position and low status, but there was a synagogue leader, right? And, and normally the religious leaders, they didn't see eye to eye with Jesus, but they couldn't deny his miracles. They couldn't deny that, man, this guy is healing uh, people everywhere he goes. And uh, so he came up to him and he says, uh, you know, Master, my, my daughter is sick and she's about to die. Will you come with me? 
And, and so Jesus, you know, he throws his schedule aside and says, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. By the time he got there, the daughter had already died. And the people said, ah, just, just go away. There's nothing you can do. But Jesus went in and, and he raised the girl back to life, the synagogue's uh, leader, her daughter, back to life. And obviously her life was forever changed. This, this leader's life was forever changed because Jesus loved people. Jesus was moved by people. Now, I could keep going. There's so many stories. There's uh, the lame guy who got lowered through a roof, and Jesus healed him even though he was in the midst uh, of teaching all the people there. Uh, the woman who touched Jesus' cloak in the middle of, of this big crowd because she wanted to be healed. Uh, the kids that the disciples said, get away from Jesus. He doesn't have time for you. But Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me. Even a soldier who came up to arrest him, and, and Peter chopped his ear off, right? Jesus took the time to say, all right, even though you're arresting me, he healed that man, right? So Jesus loved people because people were, were why he came. That was the reason he was there. People move the heart of God. Now, every week, we run into some of these same situations that, that Jesus did. We have our schedule, we have our to-do list, and then we get interrupted by people, right? People come in and, and they disagree with us. Uh, people come in and they have their own opinions. People come in and it's just like, oh, man, that person again? Like, do you ever have people that you just kind of, like, hide from? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It's like, no, I'm not here. Uh, you know, I don't want to answer that call. And, and it's just like those people who interrupt us, who, who maybe get on our nerves, who don't see, the things, uh, see things the same way we do, people who have different opinions, people who have different status than us. And they can get in the way of our schedules, of our to-do list. And when someone interrupts us or, or disagrees with us or bothers us or just stands out from us, our natural reaction is, is we want to, you know, we want to fight them. We want to, we want to just get rid of them. We want to do something like that. We want to, figuratively speaking, we want to throw stones. We want to chain them up. We want to tell them to be quiet or just go bother someone else. You know, just go somewhere else. Just like that crazy guy. Just go somewhere else. We just want you out of this society. Right? That's our natural reaction. We want to we wanna fight them. We want to come against them. And we begin to view people as our enemy. We begin to view people as our enemy. But the problem is that people are what moves the heart of God, church. We cannot view people as the enemy. No matter how much they, they get under our skin, we cannot view people as the enemy. In the Old Testament, the, the very first king of Israel, his name was King Saul. And King Saul started out as a great king, right? He was the very first one God chose him, God anointed him. I mean, he was like the tallest guy. He was the strongest guy. He was the bravest guy. Uh, he was even a wise ruler. He had all the attributes of what a king uh, should be back in that day. He was God's chosen person to be the king. And, and he went off and he did some great things for the kingdom of Israel for a while. But the problem was eventually it started getting to his head. He started thinking that he was the one winning the victories rather than God guiding him in those victories. And uh, so he, he overstepped his bounds and he started doing things that God told him, don't do this. Right? And he started trusting in his sword rather than in God. And because of that, God rejected him as king. And, and God anointed uh, David, the shepherd boy, as king instead. Right Now, David and Saul, they got to be pretty good friends, even though David was the next coming king. King Saul was still in that position, uh, even though he had lost that anointing. And, uh, you know, David, he killed Goliath for King Saul. David, he'd play his harp to, to, to help King Saul out because, you know, he, 
he was out of God's will. So he would play his harp to, to make him feel better. But eventually King Saul, he started to get jealous of David, right? He started to see David not as his friend, not as a, as a great leader, but as his competition. And he became jealous. So the Bible says he started throwing spears at David. David would dodge them. He didn't retaliate. Eventually, King Saul took his army, the one that was supposed to be protecting the country, and he started chasing David with this army. So David went on the run. King Saul was trying to kill David. And one day it says that King David was hiding out in a cave, and King Saul came by and just took a break in the cave, and, and uh, David was back there. King Saul didn't see him, and David could have easily taken his life, but he spared his life. He, he didn't kill King Saul, even though King Saul was trying to kill him. He said this, I will not lift my hand against my master, because he is the Lord's anointed. You see, he realized that King Saul wasn't the enemy. Even though he was trying to kill him, he wasn't the real enemy. He was God's creation. And uh, there was many other times that King Saul tried to kill David, uh, but didn't. There's many times that David could have killed King Saul, but he refused. Because David, again, he saw King Saul as, as a human. He saw him as the Lord's anointed rather than as his enemy. And how, how easy is it today to view somebody as our enemy? Because they disagree with us, because they make fun of us because they hurt us, because they look at us the wrong way. They don't look the same as us. They don't believe the same as us. I mean, David literally had someone trying to kill him, but he refused. No, I'm not going to view that person as my enemy. So who is the real enemy? Who are we fighting against if it's not people? Ephesians chapter 6, I think, gives us that answer. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. They're not the enemy but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Church, people aren't the enemy. Sin is. The devil is. Satan is. He's out. Uh, the Bible says he has come to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus has come so that we might have life and have it to the full, right? The devil wants to destroy us. He wants to tear us down. He wants to put sin in our lives so that we hurt each other, so we turn on each other. See, Saul attacked David because he had a sin issue. Not because he was the enemy, because he had a sin issue, and he was living in darkness. So when you look at people, what if we changed our focus a little bit? What if rather than seeing the rudeness or the anger, whatever rubs you the wrong way, what if we looked at them and, and saw a person who God created? You know, they might, they might even think, they're your enemy. But what if we looked at him and said, man, that's a, that's a person God created. That's a, that's a person that God has a plan for. That's a person that, that has a purpose. That's a person who could be living in light, but they're living in darkness, and sin is attacking their life, and maybe they don't even know it. What if we looked at him that way? I think that's how Jesus saw people. He saw people who were living in darkness. And they just needed to know the light. Church, we need to see people the way that, that Jesus sees people. We need to see people the way that Jesus sees people. See, when Jesus looked at that city, he didn't just see a city that was, he didn't just see the city that was soon going to turn on him. He didn't see the city that was about to, to crucify him, to whip him, to beat him, to mock him. But he saw the city that he would willingly and gladly lay down his life for because he loved them so much, because he cared for them so much. He saw this city who was lost and wandering about in the, 
darkness, a city that sin had a grip on. And he began to weep over this city because he knew that there was more in store for them. He knew they were missing it. Church, can we weep over our city? Can we weep over our city? Can we weep over our nation? Can we weep over this world? Because we see that it's living in darkness. I mean, just think about this. How many people right now in Aberdeen, South Dakota, are sitting at home just right now, and they don't even realize they're, they're living in darkness? They don't even realize what Jesus did for them, or maybe they've rejected it. How many people? How many people will you rub shoulders with this week who are living in darkness? How many people in this nation are crying out for help? How many people in this world have never heard the name of Jesus, right? Three billion. Almost half of this world has never heard about Jesus. Can we weep for our city? Can we weep for our world? See, I think if we saw people the way that God does, it would cause us to start seeing people differently. I think it would make us respond in love rather than retaliation. I think it would cause us to be generous with our time, with our talents, and with our treasure. Now, at the beginning of this school year, um, I bought a chair. Can you bring that up here for a second? And, uh, and we called it the, the empty chair. We kind of looked around this summer and realized, man, there's, there's a lot of chairs in this youth room that are empty. And, and we can kind of get discouraged by that, but I kind of viewed it as, you know what, rather than an empty chair, there's a lot of potential in this empty seat here, right? There's a lot of potential in it. And I, and I challenged our students to come up with names of classmates, to come up with names of their friends who were living in darkness, who didn't know Jesus. And we had them write them on this chair, and they, they keep adding them to them. Because we believe that God wants to fill this chair with people. And, and we continue to pray over this. Uh, every month we take time to pray over this chair, to pray over these names. Because we believe that, that God wants to do something more. We want to see people the way that God sees people. We want people to, to fill a seat so they can hear the light of the gospel. So that their lives can be changed. So that they can sit in this empty chair one day and come to know Jesus. And, uh, you know, last week I, I just shared briefly, I want to share it again this morning, but uh, just in the past month, our, our students have invited seven of their friends uh, to youth group on Wednesday night. Seven people who filled an empty chair, many of those names who, who are on this chair, right? And, and they sat in the chair and, and, and they, not this one, it would be kind of weird if they sat in the chair with their name, but they, they sat in an empty chair and they, they heard the good news about Jesus Christ. And two of them raised their hand and said, I, I want that. I want to live in life, in light. And they went from darkness to light. That's what it's all about, church. That's what it's all about. We need to see people the way Jesus sees people. So far this year, talking about speed the light today. So far this year, our students have, have given and uh, they've given. Uh, sacrifice and help raise $4,000 for Speed Light, $4,000 so that, that people can hear about Jesus. So a missionary can have a vehicle to, to go and reach people who have never been reached before. And, and that's exciting, that's great, and we're going to continue to give. But what was even more exciting, just uh, about a month ago, we had a Speed of Light service, and there was a call given to, uh, does anybody feel like God has called them into to missions? And we had four students stand up and come to the front and said, God's called me, right? And, and we've got four students who said, I'm willing not to just give money, but I'm willing to give everything. Because they're starting to see people the way God sees people. As they're lost and they're dying. But we have the light of the world. 
We have Jesus, and we can share that light with this world, and we can change those statistics. So I'm so excited what God is doing through these teenagers, how God is using them. And I believe that one day very soon that we'll be up here raising money so that we can have a speed of light vehicle for them when they hit the mission field. I'm excited for that. I don't know about you guys, but, but that would be so cool to be able to raise up one of our own. And, and, and there are hands extended, and we get to be a part. We get to equip them. See, when you begin to see people the way that, that God sees people, you begin to love recklessly. You begin to give extravagantly. Because that's what Jesus did on the cross. And we're just simply, we're following his example. We're following his example. And I, just think about that. Just think about what Jesus did on the cross, right? We, we know what he did. We know he died for us. But even on the cross, even on the most physically, mentally, uh, spiritually, emotionally demanding part of his life, right? He still thought about people. He still thought about people. While he was hanging on that cross, he saw the guards who whipped him, who, who beat him, who mocked him, who spit on him. And you know what he said? He looked at him and said, Father, forgive them. If they do not know what they're doing. He took time for people. Also on the cross, he had the, the criminal to his left and to his right, and he shared the light with them. And, and to the criminal who believed, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So even in the darkest moment of Jesus' life, the most painful, agonizing moment of his life, he still took time for people because people were why he came. People move the heart of God. This morning, Jesus still loves people. Maybe you've never experienced that love. You don't know what it feels like. This morning, God still loves people just as much. People still move the heart of God today. And if that's you this morning, God can, can change you from darkness to life. God can show you his love. Uh, it doesn't take much. There's no magic words, but it's simply saying, God, I surrender. God, I no longer want to live for myself, but God, I want to live for you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you raised from the dead. Would you be my Savior? And you can just say that right, right in your chair this morning. Again, it doesn't take some magic sequence. But, but God loves people. He loved people back then. He still loves people today. And I'm excited for what God is doing through these teenagers to reach people. I want you to check out this video. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. He made me unique. He made me with a purpose. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He calls me his child, his heir, his chosen, and his friend. He is my provider, my strength, my joy, and my hope. Through Jesus, I have new life. I am free. I am forgiven. My life is meaningful. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I know this. I know this. I know this. I know this. But what about the rest of the world? Do they know? Do they know that there's a God that created them and loves them? Do they know that there's more to this life? Do they know they don't have to do it all on their own? Do they know that Jesus died for them? Do they know that they were created for something greater? Do they know that the God of the universe, the God who created them, his heart breaks for them? I know this. I know this. 
I know this. I know this. But do they know? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Through speed the light, I can let them know. I can let them know. I can let them know. I can make a difference. When I give to speed the light, Missionaries are equipped with vehicles so they can spread the good news further and faster. When I give to Speed the Light, missionaries are equipped with creative communication like sound systems so that all can hear about Jesus. When I give to Speed the Light, missionaries can show the love of Jesus by providing basic needs to people who need it most. Through Speed the Light, I can let them know. I can let them know. I can let them know. I can make a difference. So Speed the Light, it's a great opportunity uh, to, to reach the world for Jesus. And Speed the Light, it's, it's a great program, and it gives us great projects to give towards. However, when you boil it all down, Speed the Light isn't about a project. It's not about a program, but it's about people. 